the Bavada at Odds podcast. My name is Seth Everett. I'm joined by the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, as we break down the latest odds in all the major sports. NFL week to week as the playoffs are upon us, we'll break down the latest odds plus the futures. It's the Bavada at Odds podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Sports MLB Show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 109 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Fedorsky. It is Monday, April 19th, and uh, we do our Bavada Sports Pilk. Picks of the week every week, and I am already 0 from 1, and it is 133. Uh, you are probably asking, Chase, it is only 133 in the afternoon. How could you have already fucked this up? Uh, and the answer is, I took the White Sox and my boy Lucas Giolito against the Red Sox, an 11 o'clock game in Fenway. No Xander Bogarts. I thought the White Sox were a lock. Uh, turns out I did not know that today is Patriots Day, which means the Red Sox. Moved. Red Sox should have been a lock. There was no research there on my end. Uh, but shout out to. Uh, Lucas Giolito, we now have a fantasy team ERA of 160 to start the week. Not 1.6, not 16, 160. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot to add other than that sucks. That was a bad Cy Young pick for me. I mean, it was a good Cy Young pick up until today. Oh, yeah, because, you know, it's a good, as long as your pick, if your picks are good for the first two weeks of a seven-month season, that's a good pick. I mean, the reality is, too, we're still early in the season where one blow-up start, and today was a blow-up start. I mean, he gave up seven runs and one and change innings. You know, one blow-up start gives your ERA. His ERA went from two four five to over 5. Yeah, that's tough. You don't like waking up uh, with a high ERA. That's just like – that's just. I mean, you think of it more from a batting, from a hitter perspective, when – if you go if you start out the season with that slump and you look up on the big scoreboard and it says oh four oh. I guess that works both ways with pitchers. It's hard to dig out. It's like Kelston Herrera for the Brewers is a great example. He started 0 for 20. I mean, that screws up your average for a long time. Yeah, that does. How's Savannah, Georgia been? Uh, you just sent me a picture since last week. You've been in Georgia. You've uh seen some, seen some war monuments, you've jumped out of planes. It seems like it's been an interesting journey thus far. Um, to say it's been the best week ever, I don't know if that's true, but it certainly merits consideration. Um, it's like, it's, we're having a lot of fun down here. Uh, the, we're having, we're having a bunch of fun. We went on a ghost tour. We, we just, I don't know. Our two big activities have been ghost tour and we jumped out of a plane. And let me tell you something, Chase. You think you know someone. You think you know someone. You really do. You think you know someone. Watch your watch. Watch them jump out of a plane. Then you'll really get. Then 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 you know. That was that was a different. That was a different sort of mindset. Like you're going up. I'm on this plane. I spent the entire week knowing I was skydiving, but I didn't know that entailed actually jumping out of a plane um, until I got on the plane and realized. I would be going on it. And she went first. And I had I stuck around for about 20 extra seconds. And 
all I could think of was, oh my God, my friend just jumped out of a plane. I think you definitely want to be the person who goes first. Mm-mm. No, no. It's a, spe- it's, a, it's a special feeling when you watch your friend jump out of a plane. I can't really describe it. It's like, you watch your friend jump out of a plane. It's like, oh my God, where'd she go? That's not how you get off planes. Sounds like an experience that you will never forget. One that knowing you, you will probably try to repeat in the future. Oh, um, I'm getting certified. You're getting certified. There you go. Certified lifeguard to a certified uh, skydiver. That's uh, my goal. That's my summer project. I think. <laughs> I think that's my summer project. I'm just going to keep skydiving until I can start doing solo missions. All right. Moving along. We had a lot happen in baseball this week. So we will jump right into our Bavada picks of the week. Uh, we will pick. Uh, two games that I actually bet on and see if me and you are aligned and then the best pitching matchup of the night. Uh, so we'll start with the Cardinals and Jack Flaherty versus Joe Ross and the Nationals games in D.C. 705, minus one and a half, plus 145, minus 115 Cardinals, plus one and a half, minus 165, minus 105 for the Nats. Uh, Joe Ross, best start to his career, went six scoreless against St. Louis last week, and I am sticking with my guns, going with the Nats minus 105. That's a game I have money on. Um, something I've been, I haven't been doing my, my due diligence, checking the lines on these games, but my gut instinct is, is take Jack Flaherty. There, there's something going off at BC. I know we, I kind of had hope for them before the season started. I have to check the tapes to see if they're in my playoffs. I don't believe they are, but they might be. Anywho, take take Jack Flaherty because I, I think he had that bad start opening day. He's on my fantasy team, so I just I just have to blindly. Bavada, you, you can make a lot of money just making crazy Jack Flaherty odds. Some some would say it's what I did with Lucas Giolito this morning. I would am one of those people. Uh, Rays. Yeah, I forgot that we did the whole role reversal this year. I'm the Flaherty guy, and you're the Giolito guy. Rays at Royals, 8-10 Eastern time. Josh Fleming on the bone for the Rays. Danny Duffy for the Royals. Danny Duffy, really nice start. Uh, turning back the clock a little bit. Plus one and a half, minus 210, minus 110 for the Rays. Minus one and a half, plus 175, minus 110 for the Royals. Uh, I went with the Rays minus 110 on this one. Just placed my bet in. I just think the Rays uh, ultimately better than the Royals, but the Royals, uh, to their credit, great start so far. Uh, but I like the Rays to keep the momentum going after a big three-game sweep against the Yankees uh, this weekend, which we will get into a little bit more shortly. The Rays just kicked the shit out of the Yankees. I just take them, just take them all the time. They, they embarrassed. I don't even, I feel like people are getting rid of the Bronx Bombers moniker for the Yankees because they just can't hit. And to Tampa's credit, they shut us, they shut, I don't even want to say us. I want to say they shut them down. Hold those thoughts. I got a lot of statistics that mirror just how dire yeah. of a start it's been for the Yankees. Uh, last game, we're going to pick Brewers, Padres, really strong pitching matchup, matchup of the day. Brandon Woodruff for the Brewers, Joe Musgrove, Mr. No-Hitter for the Padres, plus one and a half, minus 165, plus 143 for the Brewers, minus one and a half, plus 145, minus 166 for the Padres. I think this is a low-scoring game. Uh, so I'm going to take the Brewers with the runs, plus one and a half, minus 165. I'm going to take the Brewers, too. I'm just going to take the Brewers' money line here. Um, hard to throw. Coming off the no-hitter, I, I just think it's a good value to fade the pitcher coming off. And it's not – that's not a universal truth. Uh, there has, there has been a start in between for what it's worth. 
Yeah, but you still called him Mr. No-Hitter. I mean, he threw a no-hitter. I'm going to call him Mr. No-Hitter. Him and uh, Carlos Rodon, they're going to be Mr. No-Hitters for the entire season, I think. that That's, uh, in a good way, a reputation that I don't just, you know, toss aside quickly. Mr. and Mr. No-Hitter. Mr. 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 No-Hitter. And credit to you. I give credit where credit's due. Uh, it's similar to what I'm about to do with the Yankees. I dump on people when it's also due. Uh, credit to you for picking up Carlos Rodon in fantasy pickup of the year on the waiver wire so far. He's coming off in the no hitter, even before that five scoreless in his first start. Uh, and really, I don't know what happened to Noah's fantasy team, but credit to you for after getting trounced by me the first week to be candid. Chase, that is a very backhanded compliment to yourself. So that's just, I think, yes, you kicked our ass week one, but we shut. Well, you didn't let me finish. I was about to give you the compliment of saying after getting trounced by burn the trash cans in week one to come back firing perfect week, 11, nothing win slot into third place in the standings. Uh, really good week for Delahanty's dingers. We're not done. We're um, really good. Our week. Team name is, we have a different team name, but that's okay. Really good week for team SC. We're the, we're, we're the skull crushers because we wear skull caps. Yep. Always got to be prepared for the seasons. Uh, moving along to the standings. Uh, AL East. I, I mean, I've had a lot of Red Sox fans text me that if you had told me them that the first two and change weeks of the year, the Red Sox would be in first, the Yanks would be in last. They would have said you were crazy, but here we are Red Sox in first 10 and six looking like it's going to be 11, six. I don't see them blowing that game against the White Sox today. Rays in second Orioles in third Blue Jays in fourth Yanks in last. Uh, so the Yankees right now, five and 10, they are in last place in the American league for context. That means the Rangers, the first place Mariners, the Tigers. Mariners always start out hot. The Tigers, the Orioles, all those teams. The Indians traded their entire lineup away. All better records than the New York Yankees. Uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll go through league leaders and I'll make my point on the, on the Cleveland baseball club. So the Yankees are now 5-16 and 16 against the Rays since the start of 2020, including the postseason, which is the most losses by any team against an opponent since 2020. Uh, basically, Kevin Cash owns the Yankees. Simplest way to describe that. Uh, the Yankees have their fourth lowest batting average through 15 games of a season in franchise history at 210. Uh, and again, the Yankees have been a franchise now for 118 years. They're the only team who has not scored a run in the ninth inning this entire season. They are five games. That, that right there is the most pathetic thing you can say. They are five games under 500 for the first time since May 18, 2016, when they were 17 and 22. They have now lost five straight games in April for the first time since 2007. They had a seven game losing streak that year. And their five and 10 record is their worst win loss record through the first 15 games of the season since 1997. You were not born yet. I was a year old, less than a year old. This is what we're dealing with right now. And I don't want to dwell too much on the Yankee struggles. If you follow me on Twitter, I have a tweet about it every day. I think what it comes down to right now, it's uh, it's ultimately three things. Um, the first of which there's just no leadership on this team. And, uh, you know, DJ, I think the DJs and the Jeters of the world, the silent leaders work when you have the vocal guy, whether it was Paul O'Neill, whether it was CeCe, the guy who's going to go in and rip the team apart, light a fire under their ass. Maybe Garrett Cole has to step in and become that guy. I think he's more than comfortable doing it. I mean, it's supposed to be, I mean, Gardner profiles like it. I just think Gardner, the problem is throughout his whole career, he's, not a not a lead by he's a lead by example guy honestly he's the guy who's going to get the most out of his skill set go out and grind but he's never going to be that vocal guy um i think that's issue one 
two, I mean, we talked about how this team top to bottom could have a low floor and a high ceiling. The rotation outside of Cole and Montgomery, mostly Cole, Montgomery's been solid enough, has been abysmal. That was my big, that was what I, I Chase, I said this on podcast. I spoke to you about this all offseason. Outside of Cole, we have four question marks. Rotation has been abysmal. It really makes you wonder. I mean, I think it's too early to say with Tyone, just because he is young, he's coming back from the surgery. Kluber looks like he's got nothing left in the tank early. Um, and you gave is that a surprise to anyone? No, but I thought there would be a little bit more early, even though he's historically a slow starter. Uh, you got rid of Tanaka. And say what you want about Hap. You know, the playoff debacle, we talked about it. Ultimately not his fault, I would say. Boone really did not put him in a position to succeed. Say what you want about Hap, though. He went five, six innings every start last year and had a three, four, seven ERA. We would kill for that right now. Um, yeah, Hap has a Hap has a low ceiling. You know what Hap's ceiling is. But his floor is so high. You know that floor is very high. And then and, uh, what and then number know, one, what, what what's the hope for the like if Obviously, Voight's coming back soon, but if if you're sitting to if you're telling yourself that all is right when Luke Voight comes back, then you are not a World Series caliber team. Well, that, my third and, and that goes hand in hand with my third biggest problem is this is the worst defensive baseball team I think I've ever seen in my life. That's because you missed our softball game two uh, two weeks ago. I'd like to think that was because I wasn't there. But I mean the Jay Bruce experiment, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I mean, Yankees Twitter may have bullied Jay Bruce into retirement. Yeah, no, that's real. That, that may have happened. That really might have been the case. They may have bullied Jay Bruce in retirement, which is crazy. But, you know, we're stuck in a situation. You have a guy in DJ LeMayu who's a gold glove second baseman. Um, Odor's had a few clutch hits but hasn't really hit at all. You know, DJ has to play first base because Glaber's that bad. I mean, you had the Jay Bruce experiment, but Glaber's that bad at short. You can't move anybody around. There's no backup options. Aaron Hicks, who's supposed to be this walk guy and who's super strong in center field, made two bad errors yesterday. He's a switch hitter who can strike out from both sides of the plate. You know, the walks haven't been there. Yesterday was the first time I've seen Judge noticeably angry. He was dropping F-bombs on a strikeout. I mean, look, the Rays, uh, we thought the Rays weren't going to be what they were last year, but they're still a good team. They're still going to compete and grind. Um, But the perfect example of where I think the Rays have had the advantage over us, it's a guy like Joey Wendell. It seems like every time in a big spot against the Yankees, Joey Wendell hits a home run. We don't have those random guys who are going to step up. No, we don't need a random guy to step up. We need Judge and John Carlo to step up. We need a player. But we really, I, I really think if you actually want to, if you want to pinpoint one guy, I mean, Hicks is, Hicks is bad. Hicks is just a bad baseball player, what he's shown so far this season. Um, but why there was so much excitement around this young, these baby bombers was Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres was supposed to carry the mantle from Derek Jeter and be our perennial all-star shortstop for the next decade. He is not. And unless there's something drastic changes, then we are going to have to go back to the drawing board on that one. I, I mean, I, that's I a Gio Rochelle to, to carry a team. I'm totally with you there. And it's like, at this point, if Gary's hurt, I don't know who the next catcher becomes behind Higashioka. Torino's broke his hand. I, I honestly couldn't tell you what the organizational depth looks like from there. And, and it's just, you look around, it's like, you want to give Clint, this is going to be my last point. Cause I, we could talk about this for the full hour. You know, you I'll look, make one point after you, you know, you, you want, want the last you, one or do I get the last one? You can make the last one. It's like Clint. Well, mine's not great. I feel like my, my, mine's not, I think yours is going to be better. I mean, mine's an easy one. It's just, you know, Clint Frazier's a guy you want to give him every opportunity, but when Clint's out there, you know, striking out and yesterday, 
He had a cutoff throw to second base where he just straight up over through second because it looked like he didn't care. And that runner ended up moving over and scoring. And for anyone who hates Brett Gardner, the reason that Brett Gardner is in there instead of Clint is because Brett Gardner would never do that. Is the ceiling as high? No. But Brett Gardner is the only guy on this lineup right now who's working six, seven pitches at bats, who's not making the dumb mental plays. Brett Gardner doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't. He really doesn't. And I'd say failure on leadership that Miguel Andujar is still on his roster. Miguel Andujar should have been traded immediately after that rookie year. 100%. Credit to the Yankee bullpen, though, for hanging tough early. I mean, there, there's been a few blips here and there. Loise gave up a home run the other day. Chad Green gives up the walk-up, gives up the walk-off against Bichette. But, you know, at the end of the day, those guys are allowed to give up runs. They're humans. Yeah, I mean, you can give up runs. Giving up runs is fine. It's, it's, the, geez, it's the same advice. We, it's the same things we scream at nine-year-olds. We don't scream at nine-year-olds. It's the same thing we coach into nine-year-olds. No mental mistakes. If you fit, if you make an error, if you if you if you do something off, if you give up a run, someone hits you real hard, that's fine. Just don't make the mental mistake. Got to do, do the little things. Got to just shake it off. I'm with you there. Uh, moving to the rest of baseball, AL Central: Royals in first, nine and five. Indians, White Sox. We were high on the Royals going into the season. Twins, Tigers, rounding out division. I think we were high on the Royals. I don't. I think this exceeded our wildest expectations. Uh, I mean, the guys who we thought were going to hit have been hitting. You know, Whit Merrifield. Not so late. Not so late. Witt's hitting 320, though. Santana's at least walking. Benatendi looks like he's turning back the clock. Salvador Perez, fully healthy, you know, second year removed from that uh, ACL surgery. He's still hitting the crap out of the ball after that extension. Um, and we said it last week, if nothing else, this team between Wade Davis, Greg Holland, there's a lot of good bullpen pieces that they'll be able to flip at the deadline. And I, and I think for some of or, these other – Or you go for it. Or go for it. We know what happened last time they went for it. Yeah, I mean, they uh, they pushed all the pieces in, and, and they hit big. So the AL Central will be interesting to watch all year. You know, if, from the Twins and the White Sox standpoint, I still think those are the two teams that finish on top. They just got to get healthy. Twins right now dealing with a myriad of COVID issues. White Sox, you know, Eloy's out. Obviously, Tim Anderson just came back. They lost Lance Lynn. I think those teams are still the cream of the division, um, but we'll see what happens there. AL West, you mentioned it. It really is true. The Mariners always seem to start hot, always the team of April. Uh, they're in first 10 and six angels, A's Astros and Rangers rounding out that division. Um, I don't really have a ton of thoughts about this division other than it's nice to see the Mariners hitting overachieving a little bit. I think the angels are right around where they need to be uh, and credit to them for turning around another pitcher. I mean, we saw what they did with Bundy last year, Alex Cobb his former teammate with the Orioles has come over and really looks like he found the fountain of youth. He's been pitching well so far. Uh, the A's, hopefully they just push enough runs across. Astros dealing with their own COVID issues, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, credit to the Rangers for sticking around. Any thoughts on the AL West? No, uh, Oakland's red hot right now. That's neat. They tend to do stuff. Um, I mean, the, I like the Angels. I've always liked the Angels. I do have that Bovada Angels World Series bet I placed uh, back in. I think I had it back in February before Bauer signed on the off chance he went there. But, you know. It's do the AL looks there's something going on in the AL that's weird, at least early in the season. It seems like nobody has emerged as a superpower yet. Uh, but yeah, definitely credit to the A's. That's a good point on them being red hot. Started the year one and seven, eight game winning streak. Uh, and we know we've seen it in Moneyball. Once the A's get rolling, that could be a tough juggernaut to stop from time to time. Uh, moving to the National League, uh, the Mets, who despite having seven games postponed this year, 
uh, between weather in New York and Colorado, COVID, that first series against, of the year. They're in first place, seven and four. We'll have our DeGrom, weekly DeGrom update at the end of the pod. Phillies in second, Marlins in third, Braves in fourth, Nationals in last. Uh, I mean, the Braves, uh, the injuries, it's amazing. Acuna, Albies both got hurt this week. Um, but I want to focus on the Nationals. I mean, you should just before, – before you focus on them, I know he just got hurt, but is there a better player in baseball than Acuna right now? No. I mean, the fact that I got him to he's just – he's he's the most exciting player I've seen in a really long time. I mean, he might be the fastest guy in baseball. He might be the best power hitter in baseball. I mean, he beat out a routine ground ball to DD like a week or two ago, and the throw to first was like 93 miles per hour. He just beat it out. He's like me on softball. So he's going for an MRI today. Uh, an MRI today. Um, sounds like he's got some lower abdominal ab issues. Uh, for my sake and for the game's sake, hopefully he's not hurt because if you have him and Tatis, you know, battling injuries throughout the year, real tough blow for baseball. Uh, but I want to ask you about the Nats real quick. I mean, the rotation so far, Strasburg's on the injured list. Scherzer has been what Scherzer's been, but he's given up some home runs. Patrick Corbin's ERA is 21 right now. You know, I know this team won the World Series and they went 19 and 31, but this is a very different team than that team. That team had Rendon. He had an even younger Juan Soto, Trey Turner. It's just yeah, but why, why I think you missed I think you made a bad point there, Chase. Yeah, the younger Soto is not a good point. I agree. Sorry, sorry to say that, but the big the big part is they had Rendon. They had the, Rendon. That, that, that's the point. They had they Rendon, had a healthy Strasburg, and a healthy Corbin. Correct. You know, what point do they really need to consider just because there's so many vets on this team pulling the plug? I mean, that's what we, we spoke about before the season. We say that that, that conversation with Scherzer is going to have to happen in the next couple of weeks just to get him. If Scherzer said he wants to get dealt to a contender, then you deal Max Scherzer to a contender. It's that simple. Yeah, you almost have to do it at that point. Um, NL Central, Reds in first, nine and six. Brewers, Cardinals, Pirates, Cubs rounding out that division. I think so far the Reds have seen, I mean, Luis Castillo's riding the ship a little bit. Wade Miley, uh, a couple solid starts so far. They have Sonny Gray back. I mean, he, I read the stat. I think this is like 42 starts in a row now. He's given up less than five hits or more, uh, five hits or less in a start, uh, which granted that could be very skewed and isn't necessarily the most result-oriented stat, but still a pretty cool one. Uh, I I think those top three teams are going to be battling the whole year. And I just think the Cubs, you know, one, one reason I thought the Cubs would be competitive was because of their pitching. And, uh, I mean, Kyle Hendricks has just gotten lit up. And I think this is just the reality of something we've spoken about. You can have, like, one or two starters who nibble at the corners and rely on location. But when you're one, two, and three are like that at this point, uh, Davies, Hendricks, and Arietta, it's a recipe for disaster. And that's what we're seeing with the Cubs. I mean, it's so funny. how This happens from time to time in sports. I mean, Actually, no, this happens all the time in sports. How many times does a team win the title and you think, wow, this team is going to win the next, this team's going to win the next five. This is the best team. There's, it's so they won this title. They're going to, they're just going to run through everyone. They're just going to keep going. This is the beginning of a dynasty. Um, that usually proves to not be the case. Look no further than the two teams we talked about, the Cubs and the Nationals. Yeah. I mean, those are, you, you said. And the Royals the, in 15. You said it perfectly. We thought those teams were going to be around forever. And, uh, I mean, look, dude, look, 
I mean, dude, look no further than the Chiefs. We thought the Chiefs were going to walk in the four Super Bowls in a row, and Mahomes was running for his life. No, no, no. The, the, the Chiefs got back the next year. That's different. The Chiefs got back this year. And I don't imagine, and I know the Chiefs have a foundation in place that they will at least be competitive for the next decade. I mean, to me, the Strohs were pretty close to that. They won in 17, made it to no, the No, the Strohs are a good example. The Strohs, I mean, it's not a universal truth. Obviously, there are certain dynasties out there, but teams like, but the Cubs, this Cubs team won the World Series five years ago, had an extremely young core. It feels like it's been a lot longer than that. I agree. And the, most of that young core is still there. And they're, and they're still there. The same guys are still there. And they just fell off a cliff. Yep. It's, uh, it's just proof how hard it is to win year over year. NL West, Dodgers, best record in baseball, 13-3. and three. They had their first series with the Padres. We'll get to that There's later. There's your powerhouse. I mean, it was epic. Do- this Dodgers team, top to bottom, probably the best baseball team I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, Giants in second, nine and six. Padres third. Diamondbacks in fourth. Uh, shout out to the Rockies, four and twelve. Yankees don't have the rest, worst record in baseball because of you. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, moving to the league leaders side of things, I'm gonna actually we do the other NL West prediction. Yes, right, I'm actually gonna do our players of the week before we do the league leaders. I'm gonna try to just keep doing a couple shout outs every week, couple hitters, couple pitchers. Uh, first one on the hitter side of things, both uh, guys who played together with the Braves. First one is Pablo Sandoval. Thursday he hit his third pinch hit home run of the year. First player since Jerry Lynch in 1961 to hit three pinch it home runs in the first 13 games of the season. And the record in a season is seven. So Pablo's on pace to break it. Uh, how fun is it that Pablo Sandoval has become the mad stairs of late? Just coming off the bench, the fans go nuts and ripping home runs. It's where he belongs. That's a great job. That's a great role for him. A lot of fun there. And a shout out to Adam Duvall. Uh, he joined A-Rod as the only player since 1954 to have multiple games with seven ribbies, two home runs, and two and four runs scored. Um, and this past week, he had seven RBIs for the Marlins against the Braves. Last year, he had nine RBIs for the Braves against the Marlins. He's the first player all time with a seven-plus RBI game for both sides of the same matchup. Pretty cool there. And then a pair of uh, – oh, also shout out to Joey Votto. Turned the first triple play of the year against the Indians on Saturday. And then shout out to a pair of aces, Shane Bieber and Corbin Burns. I know these are studs, but sometimes studs need some love too. Uh, Bieber, after yesterday, has now recorded at least eight strikeouts in 16 consecutive games, tied with Pedro for the second longest streak, trailing Randy Johnson, who had at least eight strikeouts in 17 straight games. With 13 strikeouts yesterday, Bieber tied Nolan Ryan for the most through four appearances, uh, most strikeouts through four appearances in the season since 1906 with 48, and he became the first pitcher with at least 10-plus strikeouts in the first four starts of the season since 1893. Uh, and Corbin Burns, he's pitching tomorrow. I mean, 30 strikeouts in 18 and third innings pitched is incredible, uh, but the fact that he has 30 strikeouts and no walks to start the year uh, doesn't get a whole lot better than that for a pitcher. I mean, it fucks up his ratio just because you can't really have a ratio with zero. But it's, it's impressive. That's true. So it's, it's almost it's almost like he needs that first walk to get to the leaderboard. <laughs> you need to, exactly. All right, Corbin Burns. Listen, as your fantasy owner, and I'm going to keep you next year. That sounded super strange to say out loud about another grown man, but anyway, uh, just walk the first batter of the game. No harm, no foul. Let's get you on the leaderboard. Move along. <laughs> uh, exactly. Sticking with the leaderboards, uh, offensive side of things. Oh, I did want to talk about Bieber. Um, yeah, he's really good. I, I wish. I, I, I didn't mean to stop the show to say he's really good, but I was, I was skeptical about him re- repeating what he did last year. He seems like he's come back better. 
You know what it is? It's because, I mean, DeGrom is the best pitcher in the base in baseball. I would still say Garrett Cole's too. It's because one, Bieber plays in Cleveland. I think that's a big part of it. But he doesn't have that blow you away stuff that those other two guys have. But whatever he has, it's working. I mean, he's I I do not think you can say Garrett Cole is better than Bieber. I think you're I think you're wrong saying that. I think that's inappropriate. I still think for one game I'm taking Garrett Cole, but that's just me. Um I've seen I, I, I've seen Garrett Cole shine on the brightest lights. I have not seen Shane Bieber do that. That that's fair, but I mean, I mean, I think Bieber should have won the AL MVP last year. I think I wouldn't have fought I mean, you on it. He's come back stronger. He's he's carrying that Indian or that Cleveland baseball club, and that Cleveland baseball club traded away their best player. That yep. Cleveland baseball club has nobody, and if they have this one guy pitching every five days they're not going to be a complete fire. They're not going to be a dumpster fire because of him. Certainly gives them hope. Uh, sticking on the leaderboard, home runs leader, Ronald Acuna with seven. Uh, your RBI leader, J.D. Martinez with 19. I mean, he's absolutely just been raking for the Red Sox. Walk leader, Joey Gallo with 15. Uh, proof that if you walk and hit a lot of home runs, you're fine because uh, he's a 239 average, but a 453 on base, so plenty of surplus value there. Stolen base leader, Ramon Laureano with eight. Average leader, Brandon Nemo of the Mets, repping my fantasy team. We got the average leader, uh, love that, and the walks leader. On base leader, also Nemo with 543. Uh, maybe we should start talking about Brandon Nemo more if you're a Mets fan. Slugging leader, Acuna, 887. OPS leader, Acuna, 1.373. Other than the fact that Acuna is an absolute stud, uh, any thoughts on the league leaders this week? No, just what I said about Acuna earlier. That guy's I – ho- I mean, hopefully this injury is short-term. So to put into perspective uh, how good Jacob DeGrom has been, uh, and I'm comparing teammates right now, Marcus Stroman has 20 innings pitched, same as Jacob DeGrom, and he has a .9 ERA, which is microscopically phenomenal. That's two runs. That's like if your closer has an ERA anywhere around that, he's getting Cy Young consideration. DeGrom has an ERA leading a league of half that .45. Unbelievable. One run. It's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, your wins leaders, Connor Brogdon, Aaron Seville, Kershaw, Stephen Matches, Mara Petit, and Stroman, all with three apiece. Saves leader right now is Jake McGee and Mark Melanson, repping the NL West with six apiece. Innings pitch leader is Shane Bieber, 29.1 innings pitch. Strikeouts leader, no surprise, Bieber with 48. And your whip leader, Corbin Burns. 48 strikeouts, or halfway through April. Yep. Corbin Burns, 0.22 whip. To quote Larry oh, David, Burns. that is pretty good. Pretty good. We all love Corbin Burns. We love Corbin Burns. And uh, another guy we always liked, and I don't just say that because you picked it up, picked him up in fantasy. I always liked Carlos Rodon. Uh, I mean, here was a guy who I remember when he got drafted. I was a senior in high school, third pick overall out of NC State. Big left-handed pitcher. He's battled so many injuries, which as we talk about the no-hitter more, we'll get to. Um, but he threw the 20th no-hitter in White Sox history Wednesday in an 8 nothing victory against the Indians at guaranteed rate field. Uh, he jumped on a post-game zoo session and was stunned at the media members in the room. There were 47. Uh, he retired 25 straight hitters before hitting Cleveland's Roberto Perez with a 1-2 backfoot slider in the ninth to lose an attempt at the fourth perfect game in White Sox history. 19 swing and misses, over 114 pitches, 75 strikes. He was hit at 98.8 miles per hour with his four-seam fastball after topping 100 pitches in the ninth. Uh, which let me ask you this, like the 100 throwing that fast in the ninth, 
for years and years, we would call it you're Verlandering somebody. Is that now you're degromming somebody? Um, I'll be honest with you, Chase. I, 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 I think it might be your Bryce holding somebody. The way you can get that, get it up that high is adrenaline. And uh, as an extreme sports enthusiast, I know a thing or two about adrenaline. All right, we could roll with that. Uh, I mean, if you were to say that Rodome is going to throw a no hitter, but yes, Verlandering is the move. I think even the wildest Carlos Rodon fans, including his family, would say you were crazy that this would happen. He got non-tendered by the White Sox in December, signed a one-year $3 million free agent deal on uh, February. He's gone through Tommy John surgery and so much these past two years. Uh, he's only thrown 42 and a third innings pitch the past two seasons. So for him to come back and do this, just absolutely incredible uh, from start to finish. The biggest challenge for Rodon's no-hit bid came in the final at-bats. Uh, Josh Naylor to start the inning, hit a squibber to first. Jose Abreu comes off the bag, fielded the ball, slid foot first uh, to beat the play. Naylor slid head first. If he had ran through, it was probably safe. But, you know, every no-hitter a perfect game has that one play. This was that play. Uh, they reviewed it on replay. Call was upheld. Uh, Perez then was the next hitter. Only base runner, that 2-2 slider, clips him on the back of the foot. And that's it's funny. When they asked Rodon, what are you thinking about after the game? He said that slider. He was throwing so hard. And, you know, it's hard to move away from your blow-away stuff. But then from there, uh, he struck out Yu Chang looking. Jordan Luplau then grounds out to Moncada at third. No hitter. All good. Shout out to Carlos Rodon. And I got a bunch of fun facts from this one just because, you know, no hitters are fun. You should have fun facts. Uh, feel yeah. free to chime in after any of them. Uh, so Rodon had Tommy John surgery on May 15th, 2019, and became the first no-hitter pitcher in MLB history to throw a no-hitter within two years of the surgery. Uh, that's very cool there, obviously. White Sox now, 20 no-hitters, most in American League history, second ever uh, behind uh, the Dodgers. And Rodone became the sixth pitcher in the modern era since 1900 to miss a perfect game by one hit by pitch. Uh, but the craziest thing is it's the second time it's happened in the past week and a half because Joe Musgrove did it last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, the miss, the miss by a hit by pitch, that's tough. But I guess it's – I mean, I guess it's easy to swallow because you know that's your fault. Right? There's no no real way around it. That that's on him. Correct. In a roundabout way, it is it is slightly an easier pill to swallow. I agree with you. You don't have to get pissed at an umpire for calling a borderline pitch a ball. It's uh, the eighth time in baseball history and the first time since '94 that we've had multiple no hitters in April. Uh, there have never been two no hitters in April, but we'll see. Maybe we'll have a third. Uh, and it's the second no hitter. Never had three. What'd you say? You said never had two. We've never had three. I apologize. We've had. Two. I like. I mean, I, there was that. What, what was it? I think twenty. Ooh, we haven't had a perfect game in over nine years at this point. Felix in twenty twelve is the last player. There was one year. I think it was two thousand nine. No, no, it wasn't two thousand nine. It was two thousand ten. It was the Roy Halladay year when there just seemed to be a no hitter once a month. It's because no hitters are fun. It's because Roy Halladay threw two of them, perfect game and a no hitter. Uh, this was the second no hitter ever thrown on April fourteenth. Uh, Eddie Ciotti, Hall of Famer, best known in the Black Sox scandal. Uh, he threw a no-hitter April 14th, 1917. Uh, this was the fewest days between no-hitters between Musgrove and Carlos Rodon uh, since 2011 uh, when Francisco Liriano threw one on May 3rd and Justin Verlander followed up on May 7th. Got to give a shout-out to Zach Collins. He caught a no-hitter in his 15th career start and 16th overall game at catcher. Uh, this was the fifth fewest before catching a no-hitter in the modern era since 1900. Uh, and Tony La Russa, it is his First no-hitter in 20 years that he has managed. Uh, last one was Bud Smith in 2001. 
That's the third longest span between no hitters. Uh, managed 19 years, 223 days behind only Connie Mack and Leo DeRocher. And the last thing I'm going to say, which is the most interesting tidbit, I, I think, Terry Francona, Hall of Fame manager, maybe not a Hall of Fame person as we've learned this year, but Hall of Fame manager, we agree, right? I mean, I, La Russa? Uh, Terry Francona. Um, yeah, that, that's tough. But, that, yeah, I, I don't like to see his decline, but he really did not do well. But he's a Hall of Fame manager. I mean, you reverse – yeah, you do what you did in Boston, you're a Hall of Fame manager. It's Terry Francona. Yes, he's a Hall of Fame manager. Very much so. Terry Francona managed 3,146 big league games before this no-hitter. This is the first time one of his teams has gotten a no-hit. I know a no-hitter is such a crapshoot, perfect game, even bigger crapshoot, uh, but that is remarkable that his teams had never been no-hit in that many games. Third longest streak in baseball history. Yeah, that was neat. Uh, I'd like to apologize to Victor Caratini, who will not be catching three consecutive no-hitters. That is probably the only uh, – that, that's a down. That, that's tough for Fred. That's a, that's a good thought. And, uh, you know, the last point I want to say, obviously I'm happy for Carlos Rodon. This is, a, you know, an incredible culmination of him coming back from injuries. Um, but if Rodon is getting back to the pitcher he was when he got drafted, which it looks like we might be on track for that, and they then have Rodon and Kopesh in the rotation next year to go along with, uh, if they bring back Lance Lynn, him, and Giolito, all of a sudden this White Sox team just looks more and more. And I know we said earlier how hard it is to stick around year and year after year. And Keiko. Yeah, Keiko, I include Keiko. I, I don't think he's there for the long haul, long haul. Which so is you're just talking about have. projecting. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, we mentioned how hard it is to stick around, but I mean, this White Sox team really does look like it has all the pieces for a sustained run of playoff appearances. Oh, absolutely. And they're going to have to cycle out with LaRusso and get a new voice in there in the next. I, don't, I can't imagine LaRusso is managing this team in 2026. If he is, that means they've either won a lot of World Series or Tony LaRusso has got a way better bill of health than we thought. So I want to issue an apology um, and then celebrate a player's career. And that's to Jay Bruce. I said a lot of mean things about Jay Bruce the past two weeks. And on some level, I'm not going to say they were warranted, but, you know, we gave him a big league roster spot. We had Mike Ford, uh, who's more or less a younger Jay Bruce sitting at the alternate site. And Jay Bruce had like two hits as a Yankee. It was ugly to watch. Uh, and less than the hitting just looked like he had never played first base in his life. I know he's an outfielder by trade, but I mean, there were balls. We didn't do him any favors on a lot of throws, but there were a lot of very pickable balls that Ben Wolf and my softball first baseman picks every single time. The softball, in Bruce's defense, softballs are bigger than baseballs. All which is to say, uh, Jay Bruce, uh, he announced yesterday prior to the Yankees game against the Rays uh, that he's announcing his retirement after 14 big league seasons. Uh, the 34-year-old first-round pick of the Reds in 2005, he was a top 100 prospect, number one prospect in baseball during the 2008 season. Really strong career. Uh, made his debut that May. Hit 254, 314, 453. Finished fifth in the NL Rookie of the Year balloting. Uh, and then from 2010 to 2013, very strong middle of the order presence hit 262, 337, 489, 119 WRC plus uh, for the Reds in that span. Pair of silver sluggers, some down ballot MVP support, all-star in 2011 to 2012, fell off a bit in 2014 and 15, made his third and final all-star appearance in 16, uh, left Cincinnati, split some time between the Mets and the Indians. Uh, he had 36 home runs in 2017. Indians fans always remember him. He had a big uh, walk-off hit during that huge 22 game winning streak in 2017 to help keep the streak alive. Uh, he had 26 homers in 2019 above average hitter with the Mets. 
Indians and the Mariners. But really, as he entered the 30s, the production kind of fell off. Uh, last year didn't perform well with the Phillies, only made the Yankees on a minor league deal this year because Luke Voigt got hurt. 39 plate appearances, 118, 231, 235. Uh, so that concludes his major league career, 230, 244, 314, 467 slash line. Uh, he hit over 300 home runs in his career. Uh, and really, he's another guy, you know, I think similar to when we talked about Gio Gonzalez retiring a few years ago, you know, not going to get a ton of Hall of Fame support, but for people who watched the game in that era was, um, you know, a name synonymous with baseball fans and who was just a really solid above average ball player for an extended period of time. Yeah. That... And a guy for what it's worth. I always wanted to see him pinstripes. It's almost like the each year clause. It's like, we finally got him at pinstripes, but way too late. <laughs> no, I think you said it best, but that doesn't seem, and what you said is really, it's, it's, you said a nice thing, but it, it, it comes off. It comes off dismissive. He was an above average baseball player. He was above average professional baseball player for over a decade. And you know what? That's, I, that's really it. You know, made he'll, be on the Hall of Fame. he'll be on the Hall of Fame ballot. He'll, he'll be, be on the ballot, down. made $103 million, hit 319 home runs. I mean, he had a career that is nothing to scoff at. Nothing. Yeah, that's it. But you know, they, I don't have a defined. I don't. I don't. I guess the tip of the Indians. I don't have a defining JP. I just remember him and Votto being of, uh, you know, 2010s. I was as I was in high school. I mean, that was one of the premier righty lefty three four duos in the game. A lot of home runs. Even stole a little, a couple bags. Always liked playing with him in the video games. Uh, with Bruce officially retired now, it seems like DJ LeMayu will man up first for the Yankees with Rube Nettodore at second um, until Luke Voigt is ready to return. Uh, so we will see what happens there. You know, obviously, if you're a Yankees fan, you'd love to see DJ at second because he's a gold glove second baseman. But you know what? If first base keeps him healthy, uh, such is life. But shout out to Jay Bruce on a solid career. Uh, sorry if we bullied you in the retirement. And, uh, you know, look, looking forward to hopefully seeing you on a big league staff in the uh, coming years. Yeah, that seems like a good transition for him. Definitely would be a good transition for Jay Bruce. And speaking of transitions, uh, we've talked about, I think, did we talk about last week where there's some rule changes for the Atlantic League, or was that two weeks ago? I'm going to be honest, Chase, last week, I don't. No, we did it last week. That was a big Myrtle Beach discussion for us. Because I know we talked about the salary implications of it, and if you're going to be fucking around with the rules that these guys play under, they should at least get paid above the poverty line. Um, but all that said, it looks like there are two. Look, everybody more... should be paid above the poverty line, Chase. That that's why it's there. Correct. That's a good. I gen- think the poverty line should probably be moved up. That's a good general rule of thumb, but especially as it pertains to uh, professional athletes. Uh, Major League Baseball announced last Tuesday that it will experiment with two more new rule changes during the 2021 Atlantic League season. Uh, the first is the double hook implementation of the DH, and the other is moving the pitching rubber back one foot. Uh, the double hook designated hitter rule will be in place for the entire Atlantic league season this year. And under the new rule, a team will lose its DH uh, once the starting pitcher is pulled from the game. From that point forth, the team will need to either deploy a pinch hitter or allow a relief pitcher to bat in what was the designated hitters place. The goal of the rule is to incentivize team to leave their starting pitchers in large and longer, increase the value of starters. who can work deeper into games and to increase the strategic element in the late innings of the game. So let me give you a – well, I guess first before I give you the hypothetical, what were your thoughts on the double uh, the double hook rule? If nothing else, good name. I mean, I think nothing else. I think it's just a funny name. That seems really stupid. 
I don't I, really get the how, why does that make any sense? I like the idea in theory, like on the surface, um, because I do think it appeases the National League and American League crowd where pitchers do eventually get to hit and there's a DH. Uh, and I certainly like the idea that it incentivizes keeping starting pitchers in as long as possible. I think the biggest issue for me is a White Sox executive posted this in the athletic. It's, uh, you know, say your team goes down. A classic example is Lucas Giolito against the White Sox earlier today. Say Red Sox. Or against the Red Sox. Yes, he's on the White Sox. Say your team goes down 8 nothing. Giolito goes out in the second inning. You then lose your starting pitcher and your DH then for the rest of the game. Uh, nobody benefits in that scenario, be it the team or the fans in the crowd who have to watch the game. Yeah, I don't I always like when pitchers hit because they're not good at it. So it's an out of place. <laughs> it's out of place. It's an out of place thing for them to do. It's a novelty. Someone grew up an AL fan. I grew up an AL fan, so I don't get to see pitchers hit too often. So I kind of like seeing the pitchers hit. And if you ever have to some watch somebody do something that's uncomfortable and natural, even if it's a, just a novelty setting, I probably that's pretty good for the fans. I would I, I prefer that from that perspective. But from an actual common sense standpoint, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah, not a big fan of this rule. Uh, and then the other suggestion is to move the pitching mound back one foot. Uh, this is only going to take place in the second half of the Atlantic League season this year. Uh, the MLB's press release noted that the average fastball velocity has risen from 91.6 miles per hour in 2010 to 93.3 miles per hour this year. Um, they think that a pitch thrown at 93.3 60, uh, 93.3 miles per hour from 61 feet 6 inches is approximately the same reaction time to 91.6 thrown from 60 feet 6 inches. So basically, they think this is the minimum interval needed to evaluate a change in mound distance uh, within the study. You know, there's been a couple changes here. There's been no significant differences in key measures of kinetics or acceleration in terms of pitchers staying healthy. Uh, but ultimately, I'm not married to 66, uh, 60 feet, six inches. I know it's been that way for 100 plus years. I do think that they need to figure out a way to have more balls put in play, which is ultimately what the goal is here. But I don't know if this is the way to do it just because pitchers all their off-speed stuff, their velocity, their routine, it is all predicated on 60 feet, 6 inches. This, to me, is a fundamental change uh, that would lead to a bit of a clusterfuck just because of how how much it will affect pitchers who are notorious creatures of habit and routine. And what's the earliest the MLB would implement this? I would think a couple years from now, but I, I just think for any veteran pitcher – or really any pitcher who is in high school at that point already and is prepping for the draft. I mean, this is this fundamentally changes how you pitch, which I guess ultimately is what they want, but I don't know. I would need to see significantly more data and studies before I would get behind this. Uh, yeah. This, there's, there, there's too many numbers here that I'm not informed. Of. I'd have to look at what happened the last time they changed the mound and how long, what the protocols were in place before they made the inevitable switch. I would say it's stupid, but then again, if you say shit like that, as Dave would always say, you know, just by allowing things to be the way they were, you know, that's how we'd still have some bad, bad things. things. Yes. We'd still, I mean, we'd still have some bad things if I nobody spoke up and tried to change it. I don't think it's stupid. I, I just think even before they put it in the Atlantic league to implement change at the lowest level, there should have been even more data points. Like you said, uh, moving to our next topic. What do you I mean, want? Yeah, but Chase, you got to think the Atlantic league is, I, I I like the Atlantic League because I I don't have anything else to say about it. It's an it's a it's a playground league. That's where you're supposed to experiment. You're supposed to experiment with these nonsense baseball with these leagues that really don't drive revenue and don't really have much of a following. That's where you take your chances to see if you can make a product better that actually drives revenue and is of of interest to people. 
I think of these two hate two changes, we're likely to see the double hook uh, more so. I, I mean, mean, the double hook you could the double hook you could throw in there next year, and if it works, if it seems like fun, go nuts. And there's pitchers like Wainwright and uh, Scherzer who have actually already advocated for the double hook and have even taken to calling it the double hook. Uh, so you already have some veterans who have been around a while. I mean, it's got a cool him. slogan. Anything with a cool slogan always gets fast. When's the it's last also, time a cool slogan didn't work? It's true. It's also, we mentioned Pablo Sandoval earlier and Matt Stairs. It would be cool to have some value of like the pinch hitter back. You know what I mean? The professional pinch hitter. Yeah, the, the professional pinch hitter. I mean, Giambi became the professional pinch hitter at the end of his career. He ended up smoking it in Colorado. He was good. Yeah. So, I mean, anyone goes to Colorado, they smoke the ball, it seems. Uh, we talked about this. I want to say this is what now the fourth, maybe fifth, just terrible Mets PR report we've gotten since the start of the season. I lost track. Since the start of spring training. Yeah, we'll call it, we'll call it five. We'll go with the higher number just because it seems like every report gets worse. Uh, and this week the athletic reported that multiple employees within the Mets organization say their complaints against inappropriate workplace behavior were not acted on. And the report also detailed allegations of inappropriate conduct of sex or sexual harassment by David Newman, the Mets chief marketing content and communications offer who was rehired by the team last year and former marketing staffer, Joe DeVito, uh, more than a dozen women, uh, dozen people, men and women told the athletic that Holly Linval, the Mets senior VP of human resources and diversity was aware of complaints of harassing language and actions without actions being taken against the perpetrators, uh, which again, this was included allegations against Wilpon, Mickey Calloway, and they felt that Linval would rather keep ownership happy than investigate their complaints. It was clear that her interest was protecting ownership and executives and not to the office as a whole. One former employee told The Athletic, you cannot go to HR to feel protected, comfortable, anything. Newman, who was accused of making inappropriate comments about women's appearances while with the team from 2015 to 2018, told The Athletic he didn't recall making such comments and he was rehired to his current position in November or right when the Steve Cohen era started. Uh, and DeVito allegedly sent inappropriate text messages to woman and gave one woman an unsolicited back rub. He resigned from his position in March saying he wanted to reassess his career, but told The Athletic in an email he won't dignify the allegations you were hearing with the response except to say, I've always tried to be a gentleman with everyone who I work with and who I've been involved with personally. Now for the two strongest responses, Linval defended how the Mets have handled complaints, saying, we've always had a strict policy prohibiting workplace harassment and discrimination and have thoroughly and objectively investigated any and all complaints that were brought to our attention. And Sandy Augerson, who rehired Newman, uh, and again, is the one commonality here between the Wilpon and the Cohen errors, uh, he said, let me try to make this point as strongly as I can, okay? Not every instance involving men and women in the workplace is a capital offense, okay? Every time something happens, it doesn't mean somebody has to be Oh, that's fired. bad. That's a really bad start. There are a lot of intermediate steps that can be taken, and we've done that in a variety of different cases and have included capital punishment as a consequence in some cases, but not every case rises to the level of execution, and that's what honestly I think is happening with these articles. Before we break down the culture itself, uh, you hit the nail on the head when we first started talking about this. Baseball has an old white man problem. Um, the country this, has an old white man problem. And this, make it too, get away with too much shit. I know Sandy Alderson is respecting the baseball. He's an executive that when all is said and done, I think is a better than not chance uh, to make the Hall of Fame, honestly. He will not get in the Hall of Fame, Chase. His last, the last six stories we've had about him, about him enabling sexual harassment. I'll rephrase my statement. Strictly based on baseball has a very strong Hall of Fame um, resume. He has Hall of Fame credentials, but again, the last six times you've spoken about this guy is about him enabling sexual harassment. If you were Steve Cohen, I just don't know how you keep Sandy around at this point. Uh, it, it just seems like, look, it was one thing when with 
with Jared Ellis, Mickey Calloway, Jared Porter. I get maybe all the facts weren't there. And, you know, Mickey hired these guys. But now you have a guy in 2021 basically coming out and coming just short of condoning what the people did by saying this is just a witch hunt at this point. I think Sandy, I know the Mets love him. I know Steve Cohen trusts him. But this, to me, is God has to be the last draw. Sandy's got to go if Cohen is really serious about moving away from the toxic culture that the Wilpons allowed to take over the franchise. I've been saying that for a long time. I mean, Sandy literally brought one of the, Sandy brought one of these guys back. So we not only let it all happen, he brought it back. He doesn't get it. And you know what? Those bad things we were talking about earlier, we were suggesting Sandy Alderson was, I mean, that's, I mean, people grow up differently. He grew up around that time. He grew up. I just get angry. I just, I want to move on. He has to go. Old, there are too many old white people in baseball. And it's just really bad optics. So uh, that's actually, you gave me a great transition there of old white people. Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes in 1922 uh, during his Supreme Court. Oliver time. Wendell Holmes has a great quote on a tea bag that I like. You want to give the Oliver Wendell Holmes quote or do you want me to keep talking about why? I'm going to have to look it up. I'm, I'm embarrassed. So I'm 19, embarrassed. in 19, Oliver Holmes. So in 1922, um, he gave Major League Baseball exemption from the Sherman Antitrust Act, which basically, as you've made it a point over the past year and change, MLB has had this antitrust exemption for years and years. Uh, it stood for over a century and has given the MLB control over local markets, team relocation, and ownership. Uh, and it seems like Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, and Josh Hawley, three Republican congressmen, uh, outlined last week. Josh like- Hawley? Chase, uh, Chase. You're gonna before uh, before you go any further. You're making a point about jo- do you know who Josh Hawley is? I do. I know who Ted Cruz is. I know who all these guys are. I'm you not know, the, the, the you were saying you're gonna go with. Okay, I'm, so before taking, you even make the point, I'm taking the I'm gonna politics. Take the, I'm gonna take the I'm taking the opposite side of it, no matter what. If those are the guys backing this, I'm taking the politics out of this. Uh, you and can't I'm not. They're I'm politicians. Gonna, I'm gonna give them shit in the context of the statement. Just bear with me. I've, I've this I'll is one of the few times I've actually thought out what I'm gonna say in my head. The trio of Republican and conservative lawmakers in response to the MLB relocating the all-star game uh, from Cobb County, Georgia, out of Atlanta to Denver this year. Um, They've said, and they started to draw up legislation that would strip the MLB of their antitrust exemption. Um, Look, obviously the reason for doing so, I don't agree with, because this just comes down to ultimately them voicing their support for legislation that leads to voter suppression and restriction in the state of Georgia which obviously I am not for. I, the reason that we're bringing this up is not great. All that said, though, this is major news. Um, take the politics out of this for a second. How would you feel in general if the MLB were to lose their antitrust exemption? And, and how do you think that changes how MLB functions as a whole and, and really the game of baseball together? Because MLB hasn't been able to get sued really in 100 years. This would be a game changer. It'd be really interesting. I mean, I think we talked about mostly arbitration stuff and how that antitrust exemption helps them there. Um, as somebody who's been in Georgia for a week now, the uh, the new voter registration law has not come up in any of my conversations. To come up in any of you. Let me actually, here, Cameron, quick question. Yeah. Let me, here, I got, I got a resident Georgia expert for you. Of course. One resident, one, one resident Georgia expert. All right. What does the new have you? What is the what is the word on the street on the new voter registration law around here? Oh, not not too good. I mean, we're in Savannah. Everyone's kind of blue here. No one's a fan. It's awful. 
big movie just pulled out of here. It's been a lot of flack. Not great. That's true. Will Smith just pulled his movie out. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so Will Smith pulled the movie. Like, Georgia needs to go. Georgia, I mean, I like Georgia. I like, I like Georgia, but that's a bad, that's a really bad look. But I, I don't think there's anything gets done with this to answer the question. Yeah, it, it does seem like a conservative threat just because they're angry that, you know, ultimately Bud Selig went against the conservative interests in Major League Baseball. But, you know, it would be interesting to see if something came about this. And, uh, you know, if it means Georgia doesn't get the All Star game and MLB loses the antitrust exemption in a weird, fucked up roundabout way. I'm all for it, even though I don't like how we got here in the first place. I mean, baseball doesn't deserve the antitrust exemption anymore anyway, but, you know. Correct. That's, it, I mean, nobody deserves an antitrust exemption. They can do, you can do crazy shit if you have an antitrust exemption and don't have to report to any labor authority. It's unbelievable. It, the day you, of can abuse your, you, can, you can abuse your employees with an antitrust exemption. Who would have thought? Baseball has. Who would have thought the savior baseball needed could have been the one, the only Ted Cruz. God fucking help us all. Uh, I mean, I don't like this because Josh, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz are like notorious. I don't, who's the third guy? It doesn't matter. Mr. Yeah, Lee. We have two. Mr. Lee, you I mean, have two people who are evil. Let's just keep going. We'll go on. This could lead, lead to a you know whole political diatribe that I don't want to go down that road right now. Uh, but when we're talking about morals and being on the right and wrong side of things, I want to talk about two suspensions. One we talked about a few weeks ago, Nick Castellanos, uh, who got plunked pimped out the Cardinals at home plate. His two-game suspension got upheld. And again, Castellano was the one who got hit with a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. That's what needs to be remembered. Uh, And David Ross and Cubs reliever Ryan Tapera, um, they got suspended um, after Tapera threw behind, didn't hit, but threw behind uh, a member of the Brewers. And that was after Wilson Contreras got hit on the hands. Uh, Contreras has already gotten hit multiple times for the Brewers this season. The Brewers have hit the Cubs six times. And I guess it's just what my question with you in general is, and this is going to come up every time that this narrative happens, but you know, what point is major league baseball finally going to get it right and suspend the people throwing projectiles at people? I guess in this point, they got it right with Tapera, but he didn't actually hit anybody. And he's the only pitcher who got suspended. Yes. Yeah, certain things don't make sense. Don't. I mean, it's an, it's an assumed risk when you get in the batter's box that a ball could be thrown at you. Um, but pitchers doing it in purpose on per- that sort of activities, that's borderline. I mean, if I want to take the super over the top response, I'd say that's attempted murder. I don't think it is attempted murder, but if you hit somebody the wrong way with a hundred mile per hour projectile, well, no, but you know what? But like Chapman on Mike Purcell going one on one upstairs, it's attempted murder to me. It's essentially attempted murder. So, like, the pitchers need to be suspended. This is penalty for the pitcher. The batters are. I mean, they should almost be given a granted immunity if you get thrown at upstairs. If you get thrown at in the face, you should be granted immunity. As I I'll heard. put it this way. The guys who get suspended for celebrating should, uh, while the guys who hit them pitch the next day, that's just, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Uh, of all of the farces of the Manfred regime, that's near the top. And I want it to be remembered, Nick Castellanos got suspended two games for celebrating scoring a run at home plate, but not a single member of the 2017 got, the Astros got suspended. For banging the trash cans, I know we're. I don't know why you why why do you still hate on the Astros? Because I have is to. cheap. Because I have yeah, but Chase, to. think about this. You just hate the Astros. It's true. You just hate them. Look, it's at true. the end of the day, I I don't know if I, I I've been an Astros apologist for a long time now. Dude, they cheat. 
A-Rod, the thing, okay, so let me let me use an example close to home. A-Rod, PED guy. Right? We can agree on that? Yes. And every I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the example right back on your head. I, like many other people, hated A-Rod for a while. But again, if the Astros cheated and just admitted it, that's one thing. But they took the A-Rod and Ryan Braun route of deny, deny, deny until they were backed into a corner and said, yeah, okay, I don't, guess don't, don't, don't group A-Rod in with Ryan Braun. The point is A-Rod stopped, t- A-Rod stopped cheating in the playoffs. Sure. He stopped che- the Astros cheated and they went all in. Man, every Astros fan loves it because they have an extra World Series ring out of it. I think you just supported my case even more. Happy to do it. <laughs> All right, moving along now. You know, we've been talking about a lot of bad things, things that are bad for baseball, bad for the world. One thing that was great this past weekend was we got to see round one uh, and games one through three of 19 of the Padres and the Dodgers playing. And at least games one and game two certainly lived up to the hype. Uh, Game one, 11-6, 12 inning game. I came back from a night out at three in the morning. It was ecstatic to see that the game was still on. Uh, Corey Seager in the 12th inning, it's a two-run homer off of – Tim Hill to give the Dodgers 11-6 lead. Then in the crazy series of events, David Price hit a sack fly off of second baseman Jake Cronenwald uh, to Joe Musgrove later in the game to make it 11-6. There were five lead changes and three ties. Uh, the bench is cleared in the 10th after uh, Jorge Mateo was hit by Dodgers relief pitcher. Cronenworth uh, comes in with a base load in the Padres trailing 9-6, gave up two runs. I, I mean, again, he had a pitcher in left field. Cronenworth comes in, pitchers are, or infielders are hit at pitching. And extra innings. Price is hit and sack flies in extra innings. Tatis comes back from the injured list. Uh, he hits a home run. Um, but I, I guess my big question here is, you know, there was a lot of heroics, but Tatis made two more errors. Uh, so he has seven errors already this season, and that's with the time he missed. I know he's hurt, but if you're a Padres fan, you know, at what point are you concerned? And we, we've we talked about how Glaber Torres is not a shortstop, but at what point if you're a Padres fan of Oh my God, I know he's got a shoulder injury, but we just signed this guy to a 10-year deal to be the face of our team and our starting shortstop. And he's already got seven errors this season. Um, there's there's some concerns there, but <laughs> there's definitely some concern. But bigger point is I I mean, if you had to bet on one of those two, Glaber or Tatis to figure their shit out, who do you take? Fernando Tatis Jr., 10 times out of 10. <laughs> there you go. That's all I got. Game two, even I, more exciting. Dodgers won two nothing. Uh, two highlights of the game. Both came from Clayton Kershaw, at least early. Um, Kershaw walked an RBI bases loaded walk against you Darvish that for a while was the only run in the game to put it up one, nothing. And um, I, I mean, I'll ask you this. You love Kershaw more than anybody. Have you ever really seen Kershaw mad? No, he's the most stoic pitcher in the league. Kershaw was fired up. And that's why I'm so excited for this rivalry. Uh, the bottom of the fourth, it's still scoring uh, scoreless jerks and profiles up with no one on two outs, full count. Looks in an off-speed pitch and is caught off guard after Kershaw threw him a fastball for a strike. Does a courtesy half swing and appears to strike outs, but then deliberately does a half-ass swing for catcher's interference. Kershaw looks him in the face, says it's a bullshit swing. Profar chirps right back, shut the fuck up. Um, and then from there, Justin Turner adds a homer in the eighth, makes it 2-0. Uh, and then to end the game, there's runners on second and third. Victor Gonzalez on the bump of the Dodgers. Tommy Fan liner to right center. Mookie Betts lines over, makes a diving catch to end the game, Dodgers won the series there. Padres won yesterday 7-3, but Trevor Bauer, Blake Snell both pitched well. They were chirping a little bit after the game, but how good is it? I mean, this to me, this is like the closest thing that baseball's had in a really long time, to like peak 2002 to 2006 Yankee Red Sox baseball. 
this is this is going to be good for a long time. I'm very excited to have this in the in the sport. The sport needs us. Um, but I mean, I'm gonna have to ask you, can you. This is one from as like as a big baseball fan. I get it. I see it. Um, what's this? You would know better the East Coast West Coast pers- East Coast versus West Coast perspective on this sort of thing. Sure. Like, is this gonna is this gonna mean anything to people out east, or is this gonna be huge in California and not travel? I think it's gonna mean stuff to people out east just because of the faces of both teams. You know, the Padres, you have Tatis, they traded for Snell and Darvish. Um, and the Dodgers, obviously, Kershaw, Bellinger, Bueller. You know, it would be one thing if this was like Giants, Rockies, just for lack of my brain not thinking as hard right now. Uh, but I just think given – Do D-backs, teams, Rockies. Sure, even better, much better example. I just think given the teams involved, they're both Southern California teams, two-hour drive from one another. Uh, this will be exciting. And I'll ask you this right now, Dodgers up two one. What do you see the final uh, regular season win total uh, being head to head between these two teams? I'm going to go Dodgers 13 to six. 12, 7 Dodgers though. Yeah. yeah, Dodgers got this. Dodgers are a better team. You never know. There's crazy comebacks. Uh, and speaking of crazy comebacks, uh, Sean Kazmir. And as first I read, this is Scott Kazmir. I'm not going to lie. I did too. This didn't make any sense to me, Chase. I don't know what. How did this happen? This didn't so, make any sense. So, and then I'll tell you the story as I'm telling it to our listeners. So he's 36 years old, and he was called up to the majors by the Braves ahead of their first game against the Cubs on Saturday afternoon at Wrigley Field. His previous Major League Baseball experience consisted of 19 games for the 2008 Padres and concluded with an appearance off the bench against the Dodgers in Los Angeles, September 23rd, 2008. Uh, he grounded into a double play this Saturday, so he did get into a game in the fifth inning. He went 12 years and 206 days. Uh, or 4,589 days total between big league appearances. Uh, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, he's the first player with a longer gap between – or sorry, he has the longest layoff in more than 60 years. The last time somebody went so long between games was between 1936 and 1949. Ralph Weingarner, great name. Um, for Casimir, I mean, look, this is a guy who's been grinding. Fifth-round pick by the Padres in what year were What year did Weingarner miss? Uh, Weingartner was in 36 and 49 for the Indians and the St. Louis Browns. What happened? War related stuff? Oh, I don't know all the info on Casimir to be on or on, uh, wine, Weingartner. <laughs> I don't, I'll have to do some digging. Up. But a little more background on Casimir fifth round pick by the Padres in 04 made it to the big leagues at the age of 24 and went eight for 39 and 08. Uh, he played in the Padres system through 2010, spent one year in the Mariners and Mets organization before jumping to Atlanta. From 2013 to 19, he spent each season at AAA Gwinnett. 2019, he played 108 games to 273, 33, 430, 12 home runs. Played all over the infield and all told 1670 minor league games and over 6,600 uh, minor league plate appearances. And I think at the end of the day, Casimir is going to tell you the whole thing. It's the same thing, and it's why we bring it up. Uh, even if he goes down after this week, I mean, this is like a Disney-type story. He clawed his way back for 12 years and made it back to the big leagues. Uh, tip of the hat to Scott Kazmir. I don't really have uh, anything else to add, and I just call him Scott Kazmir. His name's Sean. Just goes back to my point about Scott Kazmir. Uh, anything you want to add about Kazmar or uh, your boy Ralph Weingartner, your new favorite baseball player? I know I know both are uh, pretty, pretty electric names, pretty electric stories. Is it a bad? Is it bad podcast? Just read a Wikipedia page. Do like a sentence or two. This is about Ralph Ooh. Weingartner. It's about Ralph Weingartner. Yeah, give it to us. So I'll I'll just, come on. Quick summaries. He played for the New Orleans. Did you know the New Orleans Pelicans were a minor league baseball team? 
No, but that checks out to me. In 1936, they were. Um, he played in the minors for five seasons, then served as a player manager for the San Antonio Missions of the Texas League. That's interesting, and, though, what you just said, though, that he was a manager and then made it back. Then he missed 90. Then he missed 90. He missed 43 to 45 in World War II. Returned in 46 for the Elmira Pioneers. He was player manager again. In 1949, he was hired as a coach by the Browns. And at some point, he made it back to the baseball league. And I'm not doing a good job reading the Wikipedia page. All right. So the point is, this is a guy who hung around baseball for a while and, uh, and a variety of the same, It was St. Louis Browns. He ended up back on the St. Louis Browns. All right. Yeah. Good for him. Uh, two more guys who've achieved milestones. Uh, a little bit different than Kazmar. These have been guys who've been in the bigs for a while, and both are going to end up at Cooperstown. Uh, the first is Yadier Molina. Uh, and I'm going to give you three stats. You tell me which you think is the craziest. Uh, he became the sixth catcher in Major League history to catch 2,000 games last week, but the first to do so exclusively with one team. Of course. That's weird. Of that, course. That one I saw. That's weird. Of course, Adam Wainwright had to be on the mound. Him and Wainwright have sprung to one another 277 times, which to me just seemed like an exorbitantly high number. Um, and later in the week, Yachty became the first Cardinal to be a part of back-to-back home runs in multiple games in Cardinals history. What? So Yachty was a part of back-to-back home runs. He hit the back end. And he's the first player in Cardinals history to be a part of back-to-back home runs more than once in franchise history. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I, Ryan Spader, because somebody called him out, he, he checked it. He had Jason Stark check it. It's a crazy fact, but it's true. That's mind-boggling. Yeah. So you're going with that stat even more so than the 2,000 career games. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't even make fucking sense to me. While you, while your brain is blown, I'll just say credit to Yachty too. I mean, he's, he's in cleanup for that team this year. He's hitting over 300. I, I mean, Yachty's rocking and rolling to Cooperstown. He is not going without a whimper. And another guy who will not go out without a whimper, uh, Max Scherzer's won three Cy Young awards and he just passed Cy Young on the strikeout list. Uh, he passed Young's 2,806 strikeouts. He is now 22nd in major league history. Um, he's now five behind Mike Mucina, so we should move up to 21st shortly. Uh, Justin Verlander is at 3,013. Uh, he is the only player on the active list who is higher than Scherzer at the moment. Uh, and I want to ask you a question about Max Scherzer real quick. Um, just because, I mean, we both, uh, Scherzer is a slam dunk Hall of Famer. He's got the ring. He's got the three Cy Young. He's going to get the balance. He's going to get the 3,000 strikeouts, but it's just when all is said and done, Scherzer is going to be, I think, the new standard for first ballot Hall of Famers, if that makes sense, because he'll finish it probably slightly over 200 wins. Um, I mean, everything else is obviously great. 1.097 whip, 3-2 ERA. But Scherzer, to me, is, I guess, the point I'm trying to make. He's going to become the new flag bearer for what a first ballot Hall of Fame pitcher looks like. Him and Verlander, I would say. Um, one more. And Clayton. I mean, look, are we with Zach with Zach a slight notch below them? No, 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 a significant notch below them. I don't know if it's that significant in my mind, but when all Chase, when all is said and done, I'm Chase, two of them have two of them have three Cy Youngs, and the third one has one of them has three Cy Youngs, one of them has three Cy Youngs and an MVP, and one of them has two Cy Youngs and an MVP. I'm telling you, when all is said and done, I think he's not going to be that much further down than you think. Yes, he is. 
yeah, I I don't like I don't like being this aggressive case, but you know that you're. I, there's a monumental gap between those top three and Greg. I think they're all going to be first ballot Hall of Fame. This is the point. I don't know. I think yeah, yes. he probably will. I think Zach is the clear number four of that group, but they're all going to get it on the first try, in my opinion. I mean, is Granky the fourth best pitcher that we've seen growing up? Um, I would say, oh, who would I, I talked about this. I talked to you or our friend Ryan Kenny the other day. I mean, of guys who I saw their entire career, the top five to six are those four uh, and Roy Holiday. And I think when all is said and done, Granky will have better career numbers than Roy Holiday. Maybe not as dominant, but certainly – I mean, Dude, you're you're gonna you're, you're Degrom's gonna get there. I agree, but at the end of the day, Degrom has still only pitched seven years in the bigs. Jeez, so came up in, he came up in 2014. So yeah, Degrom is certainly on his way. Uh, it seems like you know. Last week I talked about how crazy the injuries are early, and uh, this week for context, the injuries and COVID section uh, that I try to do towards the end is like a full three pages. Uh, so I'm just going to try to like motor through a lot of these and we'll just, you know, chip in when possible. Uh, in terms of COVID updates, Yasker Hernandez, uh, he is on the COVID list. Uh, he tested positive last Tuesday for the Blue Jays. He's out 10 games. Uh, this is an interesting one. Angelton Simmons, he tested positive for COVID-19 last Wednesday. Uh, and we talk about optics a lot. How do you think Simmons was received in the clubhouse when he tested positive for COVID, um, having refused the vaccine when the rest of the team got it? That's bad. I chase it. What's the one thing I say on this show every fucking week? Optics and get your flu and vaccine shots. I am I, I'm the biggest vaccine advocate I know. I'm obsessed with vaccines. I think if people who don't get them are out of control, I think they have mental problems. And if you don't, again, and I'll say this confidently, and Chase, you can back me up on this. If you do, if you don't, if you're an anti vaxxer, don't listen to the show. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. I support that statement 100%. It's, it in makes terms, me mad. It gets me. It gets, get, makes my blood boil, man. Makes in terms of, two, I never use that phrase. In terms of two teams facing the, an outbreak, and then we'll be done with COVID. I want to ask you if there's any kind of a weird double standard here. Um, the Twins and the Athletics had multiple games postponed. Uh, Simmons tested positive for COVID. Um, the Twins, Kyle Garlic and an unnamed player also tested positive on Sunday. And the number of Tier One team players who tested positive this week in Minnesota have tested uh, has grown to four. And the Twins got a couple games postponed that. Uh, but the Astros lost four regulars from Wednesday uh, through today. Uh, and those were Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, Martin Maldonado, Alex Bregman, and Robo Garcia. All four, five of them were placed on the COVID-restricted list. All of them except Altuve are expected to come back against the Rockies tomorrow. Um, but again, Bregman, Alvarez, Altuve, we're talking star players at this point. And the Astros had to play every game that week. It's similar – or this week. It's similar to when the Sixers this season – played with seven guys and Dwight Howard was running the point. What about when the Broncos had to pull in a practice squad wide receiver to play quarterback? Even better example. Tim Patrick, was that his name? Not even close. Is Tim Patrick <laughs> on the Broncos? Just, I don't know who Tim Patrick is. I think he's a made-up person. No, I think – I think You think of a Patrick Star from SpongeBob? No, Tim pa- – no, Tim Patrick's a wide receiver on the Broncos. Yeah, but it was Kendall Hinton that played quarterback. All right, I wasn't that far off. I got a Broncos receiver. I just messed the name up. At least I got the right sport and the right team. The more, yeah, the but question, then you started talking about Patrick Starr, who's a cartoon character. The main question I want to ask you is, do you think there should just be an automatic threshold where if you have X amount of people test positive or go on the restricted list at once, 
the game should just be postponed because it doesn't seem fair in my mind, as much as I don't like the Astros, that they had five players all go on the COVID-19 list and still had to play the rest of the week while the Twins had four people in their party but got multiple games postponed. I like what the NFL did. Didn't cancel any games. You think just I screw think it? It's just fuck- the draw. The, also, the, the the baseball shouldn't have to cancel games. They have a farm system. They have many levels of talent in their organization. They can call up at any moment. If you get if you do something reckless, look, I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and say I've 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 been the the safest during COVID. Is that is that fair to say? I have I've taken my I've taken my fair share of risks. Yep, as we all have. I don't want to. I got to- COVID. I don't want to just totally throw you under the bus. And if I get COVID, you know whose fault that would have been? You. Mine. The man staring I, back at me right now. And I would have let my whole company down as a result of that. It's my whole company wasn't – my, my, my office doesn't deserve a bailout because I did something stupid and contracted a pandemic that has been reported on around the clock for the last year and change. It certainly would have made you sound like a real self-righteous prick given how you've concluded the last, like, 26 shows, but – I'm glad you don't have it. That's the main takeaway. Uh, the injured list, there are so many all-stars right now, so I'm just going to go, and you feel free to stop me after any of them. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. left the game last night against the Cubs in the fourth inning due to pain in his lower abdominal muscles. Abdominal muscles. That was a tough word for me. Uh, Drew walked to begin the fourth inning and then appeared to tweak something while diving back to the bag on a pickoff attempt. Got an MRI today. He's day-to-day with a mild abdominal strain. Uh, I mean, you said it earlier in the show, this has been the consensus best player in baseball. Albies is already hurt for the Braves. Max Freed, uh, he got placed on the injured list, which with a uh, hamstring strain. Christian Pash is also on the injured list with a groin strain. Uh, of everyone I'm about to name on the injured list, is there a player that whose team can't afford to have a missed time more than the Braves and Acuna right now? Casey yeah, is the best player in baseball. I've been saying that since I've been saying that since before last the start of last season. He's the best player in baseball. But the Braves are good enough that I don't think it matters in the short term. As long as it's a short-term injury, I think it's fine. So speaking along those lines, I mean, how amazing is it that the Dodgers are just trouncing teams and still look like the best team in baseball by a wide margin? Uh, And that's with the fact that Cody Bellinger has a hairline fracture in his left leg, uh, hasn't played since April 5th. Dave Roberts said it is not a a day-to-day thing. And, And again, it's just if you're the Dodgers right now and you tell me if I'm crazy, I just think you tell Cody to take your time. Because really, it's like LeBron. They just need him for the playoffs at this point. They don't even need it. That's how good that team is. It's true. They don't even need him. They got this guy McKinley in there. He's roping. Chris Taylor's roping. AJ Pollock. It's unbelievable. Uh, moving across time and across town in Anaheim. How long do you think the Angels, given how much they rely on their bats and Otani's already iffy, uh, can or iffy just from a health perspective, can withstand Anthony Rendon being on the injured list with a left groin strain? I'll tell you every week. I bet on that. I already told you this week. It's got that Bovada odds out of them, plus 4,000 before the season started. But uh, losing Rendon's not good. I mean, losing Rendon's not good. That division's very gettable. I don't think any team, to be spoke about earlier, Mariners jump out to the hot start like they do every year. But um, this is a real good opportunity. If Rendon was healthy, this would be an opportunity for the Angels to string together a series of wins and maybe get some early separation. Yeah. Christian Yelich, Bellinger's former MVP rival. Uh, he's on the injured list with a back strain. I mean, he's dealt with back injuries every year he's been in Milwaukee. Had a hit a homer this year, but 339, 459, 367, 139 WRC plus start. Um, I, I actually take back what I said about Acuna. I think of every team that we've mentioned so far, the Brewers can afford to lose Yelich the least. 
Uh, and it's just, again, this is a guy that's the least protection around him. Yeah, this, is, this is a guy who it's just, you know, he had that MVP year, maybe should have even won it again in 2019, but he's just been hurt every year there. And they signed him to that long-term deal. You know, they got to figure this out because this is just a guy they can't afford to have. And could you imagine just looking at the injured list right now, if we got the started team with Acuna, Bellinger, Anthony Rendon, and Christian Yelich, uh, with Max Fried, Steven Strasburg, and Lance Lynn in the rotation? We've been a lot of games. We'd win a lot of games. Uh, Strasburg's back on the injured list. Retro and Voight. And what? And Voight at first. Mond is well, Mond is short. Through. This is including guys already on. It gets even crazier. Strasburg, 10-day IL with right shoulder inflammation, felt shoulder discomfort after a recent bullpen session, according to Dave Martinez. Subsequent RMRI revealed the inflammation. You know, we talked about Patrick Corbin before, but if you're a Nationals fan, you know, given Strasburg past injury, uh, Strasburg's past injury history and the fact that he was out pretty much all of the 60-game season last year, uh, you know, Strasburg's the guy you have long-term. Scherzer might be gone soon. The Corbin contract was a little bit shorter. How concerned are you for your franchise player right now if you're a Nationals fan? I mean, if I'm a national fan right now, I'm not feeling too great. I'm not feeling great about anything. I mean, you let, if you lose a guy like Harper and Rendon, what do you think's going to happen? It's true. You're inevitably going to take a big step back. Uh, Lance Lynn also on the injured list with a right uh, strain with a strained right trapezium muscle, but he should only miss one start. Which, thank God, you know, Ch- I love Chase. Lance Chase, Lynn. what what type of muscle? Strained right trapezius muscle. Is it? It's not trapeze. It's trapezius. Trapeze is not a muscle. Trapeze is an art form. Yeah, I like trapeze better though. Uh, and I, I do just too. and I just love Lance Lynn, so I always give him a shout out. Nineteen point two innings pitch, point nine two ERA. Uh, another guy I love, Starling Marte. He fractured the twelfth. I I I get to look into trapezius injuries today at work. That's why I was so on top of that one. It's okay. I I make some you know talking mistakes sometimes. That's what happens when you talk as much as I do. You're bound to fuck up at least once every couple minutes. Uh, Starling Marte non-displaced fracture in the twelfth rib on his left side. Five to seven days without baseball activities, and the Marlins will reevaluate him. I want to ask you a question about Starling Marte. You know, if you're the Marlins, you don't have any long-term commitments. He's still young enough and as much of a leader that he could get a decent contract in free agency. Do you think Marte is a guy that internally? You know, they should really give a lot of thought to maybe locking up long term and being the quote unquote face of this next phase of Marlins baseball, at least offensively. I would do it. Obviously, they should shoot a little bit higher, but I think this would be a good start. He's in the, I mean, I've never heard a bad thing about Starlin Marte. Wait, I, I, I feel so bad if I get this wrong. Starlin Marte is not the Pirates outfielder that had a PAD tonight, is he? Yes, he is. He is. So not, so he's that, not so innocent on his end. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, that, that, that's pause. That's cause for concern right there. I wouldn't want to build a team around him, but I mean, he's no real character issues that, to my knowledge. So I would say good, a good first building block. It's, it's a good first building block, but you know, if some team offers top prospects for him, you, you ship him out tomorrow. You the deadline. No. I agree. All right. Tweet to the week and wrap up. Uh, the first is a point that I heard Michael K make when Bo Bichette's, uh, stole second base against the Yankees. And it's the fact that Bichette probably beat a play at second on a stolen base because he was wearing one of those base running gloves, which in theory give you an extra two to three inches closer to the bag when you're sliding. Uh, And I had never thought of that before. That's something I would never think of, uh, mostly because I would never use a base running glove because, A, I'm not stealing bags, B, I'm not very quick. Uh, But my question for you is, should Major League Baseball ban the stealing glove or the base running glove, I guess? given that it does give the base runner a 
inherent advantage when you they, think about it. They have to make it. Is that is that is that two to three inches true? I think you, so. Chase, because, Chase, just look at you. Look at your hand. No, I know, but Bryce, well, but this isn't like a batting glove. It's almost like an oven mitt type where it's meant to provide cushioning. So it's like if this is our hand, it's two to three inches above because it goes above your hand because it's I mean, protecting when you they, slide. They shouldn't eliminate it. They should. They should make a. They should. They should make us. They should make a standard. They should standardize. Say you can. You can wear gloves that do not exceed the tip of your finger length by. It would be it looks Chase, like whip, Chase, where are you whipping a tape measure from, my guy? I have a tape measure on my desk in my room. I figured it would be a handy prop. I wanted to give you the visual aid of this is what. All right, so two Chase, to three. Why inches, you got a tape measure in your desk? I feel like I have to ask. Literally to measure stuff in my room. Do you want the full visual aid here? No, 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 I do not want the full visual. I went to Comic Con two years ago. I bought these Power Ranger prints, and when I went to order frames, I needed. Let me see that. I needed to know. Uh, how big no, the cool. prints were. So I used the tape measure to measure them. I got a bunch of tape measures at a conference last year. They're great. I love having them around. So yes, all of which is to say, I think the uniform measurement is the way to do it. It's just, that was just an interesting thing. When I heard on the broadcast, I jotted it down. Cause I was like, I never would have thought of that. I mean, it's, it's like theoretically, why don't you just wear 90 foot base running gloves and, go, and just touch the base. That would be something. You would also need to have very big hands. Uh, this week in Jacob DeGrom news, uh, the Mets almost screwed him. Jeff McNeil made an error against the Rockies. Uh, DeGrom went six innings, but then the bat, w- bats woke up late. Alonzo hits a home run. Jonathan Villar ties it up with a single, and Francisco Lindor puts them up 4-3 in a win. Uh, DeGrom had 14 strikeouts and back-to-back starts, the first pitcher to do so when Chris, since 2019 when Chris Sale and Garrett Cole did so, and it's the 20th instance of a pitcher with consecutive 14 strikeout games since at least 1901. He's the ninth pitcher to strike out at least nine batters in a game. Uh, he was one away from passing Tom Seaver's record, and all the pitchers to throw – uh, consecutive games with 14 strikeouts and no more than one walk and no more than one earned run. Uh, Jacob DeGrom did it twice in 2021. Kershaw did it twice in 2015. Pedro did it twice in 2000. And Dwight Gooden did it twice in 1984. You know, at, at what point do you think DeGrom is going to get the LeBron and Mike Trout treatment, Bryce, where people are just going to run out of things to talk about? So it's almost like because he's so good and makes these things look so normal and so average, we just stop talking about it. I'm going to have to say the Russell Westbrook treatment because that's my favorite basketball player. Yeah, and I mean, Russ is averaging a triple-double for the third time, 100%. Fourth time. This will be the fourth time he's done it? I yeah. knew he'd, I knew he'd done it back-to-back years. Uh, my follow-up back on to back the, to back. My follow-up. No, the thing the, with Degrom is he's he's head and shoulders the best pitcher in baseball. No, you know it's not head and shoulders because I spoke about this earlier. Bieber's in his class. It is Degrom one, decent gap Bieber, everyone else. And I know you're going to try and argue for Garrett Cole because you did earlier, but that's just that that's not true. It is Degrom one, space Bieber Cole. Although right now, as crazy as it is, I mean Degrom would win the Cy Young, but uh, Corbin Burns is at least keeping pace so far. Yeah, but it's more of a longevity thing. I know, but I think as we've seen time and time again in other sports, baseball included uh, as well, if DeGrom and Corbin Burns have similar numbers, Corbin Burns is going to win the award because they like to give it to somebody new and fresh. I know, but then there's a – that's true, but there's a certain time when it comes – man, if we give this guy another side on cue, he, we're, we're, 
voters like to be voters like to be dude, everyone who doesn't like to be part of history they don't want to screw them. you don't want to screw them like johan got screwed do you think there's a minimum Yo- do you think there's a minimum threshold of wins the ground needs to reach this year to get the Cy Young? i'm gonna put it at 10 10 I'll, okay i'll agree with 10 i think but that's a very low for a guy that we're calling the best pitcher in baseball that is a very low threshold well, the Mets seem to uh, be allergic to supporting him, but Degrom himself is hitting 500. Uh, so kudos to him there. He's the definition of kudos. trying to help his own cause. Kudos to him, trying to help his own cause as much as possible. Uh, two stats from Chicago. Uh, one was from the Cubs Brave series this weekend. Uh, the Cubs won 13 4 Saturday or, or on Saturday. Yesterday, the Braves won 13 4, which is the second time in MLB history back to back games ended in a series with the same 13 4 score. Uh, I think that is a very interesting tidbit that you don't hear very often. And shout out to Yerman Mercedes. He has been known as a masher early on. Today, he became the first non-pitcher to make his fielding debut on the mound since September 20th, 1936. Uh, What do you think is more of an anomaly, the 13-4 back-to-back games with each team flipping scores, uh, or the fact that this year's best hitter in baseball other than Acuna, Yerman Mercedes, made his fielding debut as a pitcher? 13 to four. 13 to four is fluky. I mean, they're both super fluky. <laughs> they, they are both super fluky. Uh, and to wrap up the show, we talked about A-Rod the past few weeks. I, I just wanted to put it out there to the world. A-Rod and J-Lo, uh, they're officially better as friends. They announced their separation. Uh, I know Big Cat was upset. I was upset. And, I was upset. I was and, heartbroken. And just imagine if A-Rod and J-Lo uh, purchased the Mets and the Mets were not only going through – a PR nightmare, but we're also going through their owners getting divorced slash separated. Only the Mets would have been able to draw something up like that. When in Rome, baby, when in Rome. When in Rome or when in Georgia in your case. Uh, all that said, I know you're coming back north in a couple of days. We're looking forward to having you back. We uh, think so. Those are the rumors, but you know, rumors are meant to be broken as are secrets. Uh, any concluding thoughts for this week's show? Uh, get your flu shot and uh, Georgia, beautiful state weather-wise, but just fix that voter reform. It's fucking stupid. They started, you know, they voted blue in the Senate, so start in the right direction. Uh, mine is going to be, I'm going to be back in the Bronx tomorrow, my second game in a three, four-day stretch. We badly need a win against the Braves. Charlie Morton's pitching against the Yankees, so I'm not too optimistic, to be honest. Um, but I think the fact that Acuna could be out will help us, and if nothing else, I will have a tall boy and a chicken bucket ready to go. And uh, whoever's playing right field for the Braves tomorrow, be warned. I am coming in hot and I'm going to tear you a new asshole for everyone in the Bronx to hear. With Bryce Holman, my name is Chase Midorski. This is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. Have a great week. <laughs>